Hi. Hi. Welcome back. We're here with episode three. We're going to be talking a bit about mental health taboo in the South Asian community. But before that, how are you? Good. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good. It's very summery in London at the moment. I know, heat wave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah, it's been good. The hay fever is a bit... Well, the hay fever is actually getting better now, but when I was on holiday, I did think like, wow, it's so nice to be somewhere with good weather that I don't get hay fever in. <laughs> That's so true, actually. Yeah. I always forget about that. <laughs> what What's your best thing this week, Rhea? My best thing was actually something really cute. I helped my niece get ready for her prom. Oh. Her year 11 prom, so she's finished her GCSEs, and yeah, so I went over and just kind of just watched her slash helped her get ready and it was really cute <laughs> brought back memories of when I was had my prom yeah did you have a prom in Australia yeah well I didn't well we had I was here for GCSEs oh you were here yeah. yeah so I did a prom here and end of sixth form thing yeah in Australia we had like end of year dances yeah. um which was like year six and stuff like that but prom was here and it was I remember for prom everyone came to my house and then we got a limousine. Oh my god, you're you so fancy. <laughs> Literally, I think I basically got ready myself. Mm. And my friend came over, actually, yeah. My best friend came over. Both got ready together. I remember she had like a wardrobe malfunction and had to go race home in her car. Oh, really? Pick up something and then come all the way back. Yeah. And then, yeah, we just got ready. And I'm pretty sure we, like, uh, yeah, I think our dad, my dad just dropped well, actually, off. now that I... Like, so my, my best friend from school came over to mine. We got ready together, took some photos, and then we went to this other girl's house, and there was, like, seven or eight of us in our group, and we were getting a limo from her house mm. to the prom. Fancy. Was, but it is such a big thing now. Yeah. It's getting, like, more and more, you know... Yeah. I, I mean, from the, America, right? They're just yeah, bringing I mean, all their traditions over here. But this was a long time ago, my yeah. prom. But... Then for fun, end of school, I don't think I did. We did the limousine. I mean, it was it was no, like yeah. It was we got we got the train. Yeah, and the tube. <laughs> <laughs> it was two thousand and seven. So I think it was like peak like R and B hip hop culture. Yeah, limousines are really cool. Remember like Hummers? You oh gosh, you yeah. never seen you'd them see anymore. them everywhere before. <laughs> yeah, and it was such a thing. Yeah, now I don't really see them. I did see mm. a limousine the other day. Yeah, and it was like flashback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you hardly see them now. No, have you ever been in one? Yes, yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. One of my friends for her birthday had one. <laughs> and it was like such a treat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my best of the week. What was yours? Uh, so my best thing was that, do you remember in episode one, I talked about how I lost my necklace. That was my oh, worst yes. of the week. I yeah. found it. Oh, well done. And like I said, it wasn't an expensive one, but it's just one that I wear quite regularly. Oh, yeah. and it goes I just, with everything. Yeah, I like it a lot. And so it was just such a shame because... It was also a gift, and I think whoever bought it for me bought it from a different country, so it was really hard to find. Like, I can't replace it. Mm. And it was so funny, because it was basically in my jewellery case. Oh. <laughs> but it was... So in a very, very safe place. Yeah, Where it, it should have been. Where it should have been, but it was... It had slipped into one of the ring slots, so it just looked like a bit of a ring. Ah. Uh, from the edge, like you couldn't tell. Yeah. It was just in the wrong section, so, yeah. Oh, well, at least you found it. That's good. Exactly. What was your worst thing this week? My worst thing is my cousins are moving to Canada. Oh, So we recently had like a leaving party for them and it's mm. kind of sad because obviously they've been here for a while and yeah, they're moving and their kids, Yeah, they're taking them away from us. So that was kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. But I'm yeah. sure you'll still see them. They'll come visit. Yes. Yeah. And it's an excuse to go to Canada and go That's visit true. them as well because I've got quite a few cousins up there. 
You've still got yeah. some cousins here too. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> kind of sick of the cousins here. <laughs> well, I might just move to then. All right. <laughs> just, I mean, she's acting really cool about it, but when I told her I might move off the podcast, she was crying. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, I don't have any plans to move right but, now. Yeah, that was my worst of the week because it's always sad when your family members are moving. Yeah. But what was your worst of the week? My worst of the week was actually a bit of a throwback one because I couldn't think of anything for when I was on holiday Mm. in Menorca. Even though the holiday was amazing, the hotel I stayed in, it was a really beautiful hotel, but the first night I stayed there, the AC in my room wasn't working. Oh, God, that is the worst. (laughs) That is the worst. Not only was it not working, though, because honestly, it was hotter in the room than outside because they apparently... Because I went went in the room and I was like, ooh... (laughs) It's a bit spa-like in here. Yeah. And then I went to the desk and I said, oh, I'm not really sure how the AC went. And they were like, oh, yeah, um, someone's fixing it tomorrow, hopefully. But everyone's so chilled in Spain. Yeah. Like, they're like, yeah, hopefully. Tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow maybe, you <laughs> yeah. know, if you're lucky. But it wasn't even that it was just not on. Because if it wasn't on, it would have been the same temperature as outside, which is actually quite yeah. pleasant. It was on the winter setting. So even if you put it on, it was just blowing, like, warm Hot air. air. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, I had to put up with it the first night and... It was fine initially. The thing is, there wasn't a window, there was a sliding door. So I was a bit scared to leave that open overnight. Mm. But I had to, I woke up in the night, honestly, like so hot. And because of the heat, like there was all these bugs as well. And then... Yeah, that's the other thing. You don't want to leave your window open because of all the like... Insects. Yeah. And then I had to open the door just to like let some of the outside air in. And yeah, I woke up like twice in the night because of how hot it was. Mm. Then, Then the next night they said, oh, we fixed it. But I honestly couldn't really see a difference. Mm. But then you just feel like they're like gaslighting you because you're like, oh, am I just like a British person that that's can't like stand can't stand the heat? Yeah. So I put up with it for a second night, and I was like, they, I called them. I was like, I don't think it's fixed. And they were like, no, no, no. Someone came today. They fixed it. Yeah. And then the, that night was also pretty bad. Yeah. And the next day, I was like, listen, I don't, I like, I don't want to make a fuss, but really, this is not. This isn't AC. Yeah. And the woman came with me to my room. And as soon as she walked in, she was like, no, this isn't working. It's yeah. so hot in here. And yeah. I was like, exactly. I, I felt so like... You should feel so guilty. Yeah, I was like so validated. I was like, thank God. Like, it's yeah. so hot. It's hotter than outside. Yeah. Um, but then the plus side to that was that for the remaining two nights, they moved me to a different... Because it was basically something specifically wrong with my room. Uh, um, and then they moved me to like this incredible room. Like, oh, yeah. that's good. <laughs> it had like... A second bed, like I had like a living room. It was like Ooh, a suite. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So yeah, so silver lining. Silver lining. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Um, yeah, so that was my my worst thing that turned out okay in the end. I mean, if I had to stay in that room for the full, full four nights, I think by the end of the holiday I would have been exhausted. Yeah. So it was it was good. It got fixed. Yeah. So this week. We are going to be discussing mental health taboo in South Asian cultures. Those of you who listened to the podcast before will know that we are both from South Asia mm-hmm. in background. And so it's something we were chatting about it, weren't we, the other day? Yeah. It's it's definitely real. I've definitely experienced it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on on kind of your experiences of the, the taboo surrounding mental health? Just nobody talks about it. Literally, it's, yeah. like, it's not a thing. It's yeah. seen as like a sign of weakness. I've definitely experienced times where I felt really low. Yeah. And I found it difficult to express myself and f- feel heard and understood. Yeah. Because you just feel like there's actually, like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. 
and even though it's it might be something that you can't even really help mm. like it's not even your fault Exactly. Or like there's a tendency to sort of just explain it away with other things. Mm. Like, oh, well, you are stressed because obviously these things have happened and exams are always stressful. Yeah. But then it's that bridge between, yes, fine, there are triggers. But what if you feel so much worse? And even when the triggers go away, you still feel terrible. Mm. And maybe there's something worse going on with you. But I think my experience of it in our culture is also, it's actually not just mental health. Like, I also think it's a bit of a taboo to talk about even physical health sometimes yeah. because even in like in our family like when we ask people about family history of health conditions maybe obviously, they're a bit wishy-washy <laughs> yeah and like maybe things are prevalence of things is going up like yeah. certainly like globally prevalence of things like cancer is going up but if you ask our family like if our parents like who in our older generations had cancer like, they'll be like nobody had it yeah, yeah. but then I'm sure Somebody, somebody had and it's yeah. even even the other day when we met with my parents my mum was talking about her grandmother yeah. and she mentioned she had asthma she's oh, never yeah. told me she had asthma before and me and you both have asthma yeah. and they're always saying how oh I don't know how all these kids ended up with asthma because none of us had it and yeah. nobody has it and like turns out there's actually people yeah. who did have asthma in our family they're just hiding it yes <laughs> So yeah, I think it is physical health things yeah, too. Definitely. But mental health even more so. Yeah. Um and yeah, there's a bit of a stigma attached to like taking medication as oh, well. Oh yeah, yeah, if you're real. There's such a thing. Like even yeah. if you just have a headache, yeah. it's like, oh go lie down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you say <laughs> oh, oh, I'm gonna ta- take a paracetamol, that like they'll if you say you have a headache, they'll be like, Oh, whatever, I don't care. Then if you say I'm gonna take a tablet, <laughs> they're like, What? Like, do you need to go to a hospital? Like what's <laughs> wrong with you? Why are you taking medication? Yeah, you stop taking all these tablets. Even my, my my dad is like paranoid about my hay fever tablets. Like he's like, my hay fever is horrendous. Your hay fever is bad. And it's always been bad. And it's worse, probably like London, the pollution, also the London planes that are everywhere. And did you know, I found out an interesting fact about that. Oh. It's kind of irrelevant to what we're talking about. But the reason why hay fever is so bad in, in cities like London is when they plan the towns, they plant they plant only male trees. Oh. Because they don't want trees just sprouting up in place. Like, if you've got pavements yeah. and things like that, they don't want trees just, like, randomly, first, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...sprouting up randomly. So they plant only male trees on the sidewalks and on the streets, and that means that they release... That sounds a bit sexist <laughs> to me. <laughs> somebody, I was, somebody I know told me this the other day. That's then. really interesting. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. And so, the, but the male trees produce so much pollen because they've got to fertilise the... Oh, yeah. So, right. so that's why there's just... And, and the people who plan the towns obviously have done that from a planning point of view. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't want random trees but just popping up. But they haven't thought about all the other stuff. Yeah, they haven't thought so about the hanging. Yeah, exactly. Wow, Especially that fluffy pollen that's everywhere yes. in the sky in London. Ugh. But yeah, so, and then, and honestly, like, if I ever take my hay fever medication, my dad's like, <laughs> this is like, this is causing some, you don't even know all the issues this is causing in your body apart from just helping your hay fever. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But I need it to live a comfortable yeah, like, life. Yeah. But I'm also having loads of issues if I don't. If I don't take it, I yeah. can't leave the house. So yeah. what do I do? He'll be like, don't leave the house. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so why is it such a taboo in Asian culture? I think there's so many reasons. I reckon back in the day, it was probably like, you know, especially more so in India, mm. there were certain cultures that attributed mental illness to supernatural causes, things like demonic possession and, you know, they thought you were cursed by black magic or yeah. perhaps evil eye, somebody put, you mm, know, mm. 
gave you evil eye or whatever. Well, the evil eye thing is. is really interesting, isn't it? Because it's sort of, it's not just in, in South Asia. I think in the Middle East, they, they yeah. believe in evil. There is a focus on evil eye. And it sort of surpasses all religious boundaries mm. too. Because I think it's a superstition that every religion in that part of the world has and believes yeah. in. Even if you're... Christian or Muslim like Definitely. you still think like if something bad happens to you it's like oh someone will be like someone's put evil, evil eye on, on you but that's why kids in India quite often they'll have the black you'll see babies yeah with like a um what do you even call it like a putta, a putta like yeah. a, which is you know like a black dot in bindi. between you, a bindi yeah, yeah like between your but eyebrows it's not a bindi it's not like a stick on one no, it's, it's drawn like a, with coal yeah with yeah. eyeliner yeah. pencil basically and quite often they'll even draw do eyeliner on the kids as well on yeah. the babies and it's I think my mum told me I'm not 100% sure if this is true but yeah. I think my mum said they do it to their babies and children yeah so that people don't look at their children and go oh they're like it's really so really cute, cute because yeah. they're scared that that je- you know that might provoke jealousy and perhaps evil eye on the child, and then the child might get some something wrong with them. Yeah, but it's still very very. And prevalent. it's actually, I mean, the whole evil eye thing is kind of toxic because it's basically like don't celebrate anything good that happens yeah. to you. Don't say anything good about. Yeah. Don't, like I mean, you shouldn't brag. No one's talking about bragging, but it's like if something good happens or something positive yeah. happening to you like you're, they're like keep it quiet yeah. because or don't show off. Yeah, and showing off obviously is bad, but like. Sometimes it can go a bit the other way where people just like feel like they can't they can't celebrate their own successes yeah. at all. Yeah, they can't share yeah. anything. And then if something happens to them, that's the other dark side of the evil eye stuff is if something happens to you, it's your fault. Yes, yeah. Because you brought the evil you eye. You provoked on it. it, yeah. yeah. When actually, like, why are these people going around putting evil eyes on people <laughs> yeah. if it is real? It's their fault. But I definitely think that sort of that mentality, that very old kind mm. of antiquated mentality is probably Part of Part it. Part of it, definitely. And there's so lots people of people hide it. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously just the usual things like a lack of understanding and self-awareness. There's mm. not very much knowledge about psychological disorders. And that's probably what's led to like such negative attitudes about it. Yeah. I think um, also in some places, perhaps where there's like limited resources, people tend to focus more on physical illnesses rather than mental, mental illness. Yeah. Because you can't see. It's not visible. Exactly, yeah. And um, I don't know, I saw something interesting, someone's view about the situation in terms of mental health in India, mm. which was that, you know, not long ago, if you even, even if you lived in a city in India, I mean, our family didn't, we we're from quite a rural place, mm. but a lot of India in our parents' generation, people were living in large joint families mm. in villages, and yes. so they were more socially connected. And we know, even in the UK, one of the biggest drivers of poor mental health is social isolation. Yes, yeah, so in India, they sort of equate it sometimes to the fact that within a generation, we've gone from living these large joint families. Like my mum, her siblings all kind of lived in one big house yeah. with my grandparents. And that can have its downsides, but I guess you're always in a big group of people. Mm. There's a community, there's people, even in your house, there's people to hang yeah. out with. But as we've gone towards sort of like modern life, where people mm. are having smaller nuclear families, yeah. And people are moving away, away from their exactly, hometowns yeah. for job opportunities. Living further away from families. Yeah. yeah. So then there's more socialised. So there's a, there's maybe an idea in, like, well, this person who was from India was sort of arguing that it's like a, it's a modern living problem. Mm. Which maybe is true in, in a way, but I think it also kind of, again, doesn't really put any credence to the fact that even if you're in those large joint family living situations, you could still experience poor mental yeah, health. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I agree. Education as well. I think one of the other things I've probably noticed, and probably a lot of other people will notice, is 
generally like the cultural expectations mm. and you know there's such a big emphasis in South Asian cultures on reputation mm, just you know, the fear of judgment exactly yeah. fear of you know letting people down letting your family down bringing your the family name into mm. you know it, dragging it through the mud or whatever because you're suffering with something and that's yes. it's obviously fault like yeah. you know it's not true but that is definitely what a lot of people suffer with just the anxiety of of having to uphold a certain reputation that your family holds yourself to and being afraid of being judged exactly because I guess like people are maybe more understanding of a physical ailment because and that's true here as well I think even in the the UK people are more understanding of a physical like if someone's got a visible disability people are much more aware of it exactly and it's not maybe while it's still seen as something to judge you on it's not judged in the same way whereas Mm. If your mental health illness means that you're just not coming to events or you're sleeping all day or you're speaking weirdly or not like, you know, not interacting mm. how in a like quote unquote normal way. Yeah. That brings more judgment. Yeah. But it is it's important to say that even the, the like I said, these are not just things in India. No, yeah. There are issues for everyone in terms of mental health in the UK, but particularly even South Asians. Mm. Now, I saw that a statistic that said that South Asians in the UK are a third less likely than their white counterparts to contact mental health services or support. That is so unsurprising. Yeah. That's so unsurprising. Because even even if, you know, just thinking of the people that we know that suffer yeah. with stuff, like I 100% know that loads of them would not, like seek help yeah they some of them don't even seek help for physical issues yeah like oh yeah like you know it'll go you know yeah I think with mental health it not being as clear cut you know Mm. I don't know if you've got diabetes for example yeah there are clear signs symptoms tests that you can do to say yes or Mm. no you are or are Mm. not a diabetic whereas with mental health yeah it's not as defined you know there are a lot of different presenting symptoms people can Mm. you know have and it's not not everyone has the same presentations there's not one diagnosis necessarily for everyone yeah I mean there are there are different sort of specific diagnoses but I think it's I think the issue comes down to more accessing like culturally relevant resources but also the issues are maybe driven by slightly different things in South Asia and the UK I think when it comes to accessing mental health care here people are maybe hesitant because they have other beliefs about that or Mm. they think that, you know, I mean, there is institutional racism. They maybe feel like they're going to be treated differently Differently. because of their race. Mm. There's definitely data that shows that people are afraid of being misunderstood. And Mm. one report found that black and minority ethnic people are more likely to just be offered medication as a first off rather than talking therapies, for example, which... You know, maybe medication is appropriate, but maybe that's because like whoever's assessing them hasn't fully understood what yeah, their what issues are. Um, and certainly there's something called somatization, which is where mental health issues present with physical symptoms that okay. aren't necessarily like it's hard to expect. I don't want to say not real, but you often will get like an elderly Asian woman presenting to hospital, for example, saying she's got pain everywhere. Yeah. And oh, they, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get and, what you mean actually it's almost like psychosomatic sort of yeah so it's called somatization so it's like because of the almost such a cultural taboo about mental illness it's she experiences it physically rather than like well she's experiencing it mentally but it presents exactly and how hard is it then to explain to her like oh there's nothing wrong with you you like physically yeah but actually maybe there's something else going on it's like you always used to hear you probably don't hear as much anymore but like old armatures and stuff saying oh i have tension 
Yeah. I've got tension. Like, yeah. if they're stressed, they're like, I have tension in my whole I'm, body. I'm a cheese's grandma's, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there is an issue with, like, accessing it and f- believing that there'll be appropriate help mm. because there isn't that many culturally relevant revol- resources available for them. And in, when it comes to issues that South Asians face, interestingly, one thing I found was that rates of attempted suicide in UK South Asian women are two and a half times higher than white women. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. I know the one, uh, you know, Indian suicide, yeah. suicide rates in India are about 165 per 100,000. Yeah. And that was in 2016 when the global average was only 10.5. So it's quite a significant increase. Obviously that's in India, but it's definitely, I also found another fact. Yes. I didn't realise this, but in India there was a Mental Health Care Act in 2017 Mm. that was passed um, in April of that year, but came into effect in May 2018. Mm. And effectively that act decriminalised attempted suicide, which was previously actually punishable under the Indian Penal Code. Mm. So attempted suicide, like if you were you attempting suicide, you could literally be punished mm. punished by law. Yeah. And that was, that's recent. That's, you know, yeah, that's not yeah. that long ago. And yeah. it is wild to me that that even was a thing. And that's probably yeah. why people in India yeah. refuse to sort of accept that they perhaps accept help and things because they were so afraid that they'd be punished for it in other ways driving that the fear I think it's probably yeah it's that and also just the fear of any kind of judgment judgment at all but when we talk about it in terms of ways that are more relevant to South Asians in the UK I guess because that's our experience some of the things I mean it's stuff that we've thought about already but the specifics, because I think you could probably argue that some mental health issues like stress-driven issues, mm. depression, anxiety, and then you've got the other sort of psychotic mental health illnesses as well. They kind of present in the, the same way or similar ways as, mm. as um, everyone else. Mm. But when it comes to sort of culturally specific issues, I think one of the big ones is sort of isolation because of the because because fe- of feeling a conflict between the two cultures. I mean, yeah. that's definitely something that we can relate to. Guilt culture. Yes, guilt, guilt culture. culture is such a big one. I think we both definitely feel that, yeah. <laughs> feel guilt in a lot of different ways about lots of different things. But you know, those suffering from mental illness, they feel guilty to even admit it because for the fear of bringing shame. So it goes back to the whole shame idea. Yeah, and then but, I also saw something about a lot of probably women in in our parents' generation, but even now. Mm. Um, experience depression and things like that because of the isolation. And we kind of talked about it earlier with the with the Indian society, but a lot of particularly women married men who were living here and left oh, yeah, all left their, fam- their family. Yeah, and they yeah. left their whole family behind and came to the UK and were suddenly maybe they had a few members it's a bit of their culture shock as well. Is that, yeah, yeah, it's culture shock, but they're so isolated. They've yeah. left all their family behind. Left their friends and friends exactly, mm. and they've had to sort of like try and make a new network. And that also that sort of isolation has probably driven a lot of mental health issues in that mm. generation. Even now that happens, people marry and move yeah. without knowing anyone. So there's that as well. I think, like you said, like we said, there's a cultural clash, and then that's that whole thing of being held to quite a high standard. Mm. I think that that pressure is probably oh yeah yeah because it's seen as a weakness and you can't be seen as weak yeah and the pressure of being able to perform and you know it's definitely a thing as well I don't because I think especially because you know our parents obviously moved to this country yeah brought us up here I think 
every gen with every generation there is a higher expectation because mm. you know they our parents move from here to give us better opportunities and give us more access to different things that perhaps they didn't have mm. when they were growing up in back in India mm. and that adds to the whole pressure of being held to a high you know high expectation yeah, and, and particularly I think for for young women there's the cultural clash and trying to find your identity or feeling like both cultures don't quite understand you which yeah. can also drive isolation right yeah. so you feel isolated from the British culture a bit but you also feel isolated from which is actually what we talked about in the first episode yes <laughs> throw back but yeah definitely. yeah isolation from that but then also being held to such a high standard yeah. in terms of your academic performance in terms yeah. of everything else but then on top of that you're sort of expected to present yourself in a way that makes you marriage material as well exactly. so it's not just good enough to be clever and and have a career you've also got to look a certain way and dress a certain way and be good at making round chapatis and (laughs) cooking and cleaning and doing all of this stuff and it's an extraordinary amount of pressure and then I think the other problem is that because of that pressure understandably there are many people because you will have a community of people who are also South Asians in the UK yeah and I think what can even make it harder is understandably because everybody all of you in that same boat are under that same pressure there are going to be people who are your peers who are just fully throwing themselves into that. Yeah. So then you feel like, how can I break free from this yeah. when X and Everybody Y is, is doing do- it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody <laughs> else is not conforming, but like, you well, know, yeah, going along yeah. with it. I mean, obviously, because they're feeling the same pressure, but they've just decided like, well, I have no choice. I'm going to yeah, just do this. And their parents may be, le- may, may, may be putting more, more pressure, pressure yeah. on them. But you feel like, well, how does this... And, and change, I think it happens slowly over yeah. time, but... Certainly, it's a lot of pressure to be put on. And I can totally see why people... And, 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 you know, we also all have our kind of individual resilience points and stress points as well. So Mm. some of us are naturally more able to deal with things. Like, I know that, you know, things that happened in my life when I was young probably made me a bit more resilient, like having to move countries at such a young age. And and not just in the sense of, like, oh, it made me such a strong person, but when you experience it and you get through it, you realise, like, oh, I thought I couldn't do that, but I did it and I'm fine. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You overcome the fear Yeah, exactly. And so then your life experience do shape you, Mm. um, but you can also have the opposite where you're really sheltered you don't really have to challenge you don't which happens a lot in south asian cultures anyway yeah yeah that's true you know a lot of parents do shelter their children from different things yeah and that can add to it and then there's the whole concept of uh, kind of going along with this sort of the things we've said about family judgment is this idea about shame and Mm. honor which we've touched on earlier but it is a really big yeah thing because I think that really feeds into a lot of the anxieties that you get pushed on you about how you present yourself to the yeah. world. Like, if you do that, like, people will say this and people will think this. And it's such a weird sometimes, isn't it such a weird contrast? Because you can hear these things being said and feel them and feel the pressure. And then you go hang out with your non-Asian friends and just think these are such irrelevant. Like, no one, yeah, yeah, nobody cares about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a very odd dynamic to be like, yeah, you're like, you're living in two completely different worlds. Yeah. And of course, that's going to cause issues. Yeah. I think, you know, mental health in the UK in general is on the, is, is, is a huge issue. And I think one in four people in the UK suffer with a mental health issue mm. each year. But it's interesting to think of that statistic and then think of all the South Asians we know and have known over the last however yeah. many years and think like, does that statistic track with the people we know? Or is it just that we don't know about what's going on with exactly, them? Exactly, yeah. But they're just hiding it as well. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I think... How do we change it? I think it's... 
Well, we've always, we, you and I have talked a lot about breaking these barriers and like, well, I guess generational curses are yeah I think I think you know every generation is like I I do think you know I don't want to demonize the generation that came before Mm. because they definitely had their own struggles yeah and they their views are shaped by the way things were when they were growing growing up. up and every generation I do believe I think we're lucky to be in like a very loving family and yeah. every generation does try and do their best yeah and we will do what we think and our kids will probably, probably be hate like, us <laughs> yeah, be like what were they thinking <laughs> <laughs> we tried so hard and then they're just like oh yeah <laughs> but I also think so much more information is accessible these days yeah. like we are we are definitely more exposed to things yeah. even the fact that we're having this conversation right yeah. now. It's not something necessarily, I think, even if people felt this way in our family when they were our age, they would be so open about talking, talking about, about it. Yeah, I think that's true. Being open to having the conversation is yeah. just as important. But as you said, yeah, breaking breaking those kind of generational barriers. barriers. That's important. And I don't know, I mean, how do you think that that happens? Talking about it. Talking about it. Yeah, talking about it. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah just being open and willing to accept help I think that's another thing you know don't don't be afraid of it just you know if you feel like you're struggling and you need help like be open to it there's a um there's a thing the other thing I think that kind of feeds into it that is something to change in future generations and it's an attitude thing which sort of drives all this stuff and that's kind of what I was talking about with the whole like there'll be people who are still going along with it so you feel like oh well I'm supposed to too is fostering an environment where like failure is okay yeah and where you're not competing like mm. we are all not competing with each other you're competing with yourself to be the best, best version, version of yourself yeah. because I think that's where particularly within families sometimes people won't open up about their difficulties because they'll feel they're going to be judged or people yeah. will say oh well I'm better than you because mm. or you're rubbish because you're dealing yeah. with that and comparison I, culture is such a big thing yes yeah. exactly so I think that's definitely in terms of us as cousins and we think if we're thinking about the future and how we might break some of these things it's yeah like you said talking about it but also as family being less judgmental yeah we can all Open to do discussing well. our failures yeah as well as like anything else that we and we through. can all do well together and probably better if we kind of work together as well exactly rather than I think something probably a lot of people can identify with from our parents generation is pitting people against each other in the Mm. hope that they'll so and so's daughter received 10 a stars and (laughs) (laughs) you only got two (laughs) exactly so yeah I think competition culture in in Asian families is a big one as well exactly but But you were mentioning about some resources yeah so I mean definitely obviously we're not professionals so seek help from professionals if you feel like you're struggling with anything yes um we actually you introduced me to this Um, (laughs) basically on Instagram there's something called um there's an account called South Asian Therapist they also have a website where you can access um South Asian therapists that understand the struggles and the cultural dynamics of being South Asian, Mm. which a lot of people would probably find useful rather than perhaps going to other therapists who may not understand those cultural nuances as well as Mm. somebody that's actually from that culture may have even grown up in in that way as well or in that environment. Which is actually so important. It's something I never thought about. And so what I've never been to a therapist myself yeah, I feel like I, I probably should yeah I think any... we've both said we both <laughs> yeah. need therapy but one of my friends who has been going to a therapist for a long time mm. 
she actually said to me, she's like, I think if you were ever to speak to one, you should find one who's from an Asian background. Yeah. She's not Asian, but she suggested it because she basically was saying how she had to try a few different people. Yeah, I think you find, you need, it's like a, you know, you need to find the right fit, the mm. kind of person that, you know, is able to understand you and give, is the right fit for you because, you know, not not one thing is going to work for everyone. Yeah, and then, and I've seen it as well in, in, in my own life with people who I'm close to where they've gone to speak to somebody about their mental health. And I just, I feel like the person they've spoke to, maybe because of the cultural differences, mm. just hasn't really got what the issue is. Yeah. And, or has decided the issue is because something. You, you see it with yeah. your, you know, friends from other cultures, because yeah. they don't, they just don't understand. It's not, not their fault at all. No, exactly. They just don't relate, they can't relate to it because they not, they just don't understand. Yeah. So having someone there that has experienced that or has experience in understanding those cultural issues is really important. They also do really good posts um, on their Instagram, which is very, you know, like little short posts yeah. on there, which yeah. are very interesting to read. I definitely relate very, very relatable, relatable content, <laughs> yeah. very, very relatable. So 100% check them out, follow them. And if you feel like you need to seek help, that would be yeah. where I would go as a South Asian. And the other thing on that note that I think is actually quite good in terms of changing things is, I don't know if you've watched the programme Never Have I Ever. <gasps> yes. Oh, new season's come out, by the way. Yeah. I, I got know. the notification. <laughs> I've started watching it. But yeah, so the season four of that's come out. And I actually think, you know, people criticise Mindy Kaling for loads of things, which mm. I think is kind of unwarranted. And there's a separate, we could do a whole other episode about her. But I think she's pretty great in terms of like what she's done for yeah. Asian representation in TV shows that's accurate and real. Yes, exactly. And that show in particular, if you think about it, it's really good in that it shows a young girl who's gone through life circumstances that are challenging, seeing a therapist. Mm. And also, interestingly, her therapist is not white either. No, yeah. And they seem to have quite a good relationship. And I think that's really important. Like, things like that will mm. encourage people to see that, like, it's normalised. Especially youngsters, because obviously yes. that show is, you know, a lot of young... I know my nieces and things like that watch it. Yeah. And that is important mm. because they'll they'll see that and think oh okay yeah you know i mean firstly okay. for us it's like to have an asian girl as the main, main character, character such a, a big deal drama. yeah such <laughs> a big deal and then you know but then also not you know dealing with those pressures but also doing her own thing and yeah. you know figuring herself out yeah and 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 being open to the idea that she has challenges because of her mm. mental health and her experiences and she seeks help for it in yeah. an appropriate way i think that's a really powerful Message. Part of that show, yeah. yeah, definitely. But yeah, so South Asian therapist is a good one to yeah, look, to out, look for. out for. Definitely give them a follow. Tell them that we sent you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know us. No, they don't. <laughs> right. So unqualified advice time. We're going to do another. You be the judge from the Guardian again. This time, it's should my daughter stop using the dishwasher all the time? <laughs> so, Anna always tries to put the dishwasher on, even for just three plates and a few forks and breakfast bowls. There aren't many things in life that grind my gears, just ask my wife, but I cannot abide wastefulness and laziness. <laughs> Is this my dad? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot abide it. My daughter Anna is a blessing, but she can be very lazy and it pains me to see it. She's in her final year of sixth form and, and lives... <laughs> yeah, that is harsh. She lives with my wife and I. She helps out with chores around the house, but is always cutting corners. When it's her turn to do the washing up, she'll say, okay, but we have the dishwasher. <laughs> this literally sounds like me. I mean, to be fair, 
99.9 times out of 100, I will wash up by hand. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes if it's just been a long day and there's a lot to do, you just got to put it in. But only switching it on when there's only like three or four things in it is... Oh, that is wasteful. That is wasteful. My wife and I will only use the dishwasher when we have guests or lots of dirty dishes. When it's just the three of us, we tend to do the washing up by hand. Yeah, I totally get that. Mm. Anna, however, always tries to use the dishwasher. I don't believe three plates, a few forks and some breakfast bowls is a good enough reason to put it on. Think about how much water is being used and a dishwasher should be full or just stay off. Anna says we can let the plates build up every two days and then put it on, which I don't mind as much, Mm. but I still don't like the idea of dirty cutlery inside it for days until it becomes full. It's unhygienic and lazy. I'd rather we wash things by hand as much as possible. Anna's 18 now and thinks she knows best. She says that studies show that it's better to put a dishwasher on once a day, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I just think she can't be bothered to roll up her sleeves and get scrubbing. We even caught her once putting the dishwasher on with only two plates in it. (laughs) That is bad. That is bad. bad. In my day, growing up in Nigeria, we washed everything by hand. We didn't rely on machines because we didn't have them. And when I moved to London, I lived in a shared house without a dishwasher and got accustomed to washing up by hand. I've only lived in a home with a dishwasher for the last 10 years. Maybe I'm not used to it and never will be. But one thing I do know is that the energy bills are rising. So I'm more conscious than ever of wasting water and electricity. Anna should heed my advice because when she goes out into the world on her own and she has to pay her own bills, she'll realise how expensive everything is. I mean, I mean, I can see where he's coming from. Like, yeah. she should not be putting the dishwasher on for two dishes. Like, that is that is really bad. Let's hear Anna's defence. Yes. Using the dishwasher is more economical than washing up and helps the environment too. Dad loves to make out he's Mr. Economical when it comes to the dishwasher, but a quick Google shows he's in the wrong. I've read that putting the dishwasher on once a day rather than washing everything by hand is much better for saving money and helping the environment. I've shown him the articles. They say filling up a sink twice a day uses more power and costs more than running a dishwasher once a day. This is because it takes the dishwasher less time to heat up water than running a tap, and we always use hot soapy water to wash up. But he won't listen. He says, back in my day, we scrubbed everything. You need to roll up your sleeves and do it. We only use the dishwasher if we've had guests over or have used really big pots and pans. Before school, I have to wash my stuff up. Then most evenings, I scrub the plates again. But if we just stack the dishwasher after every meal and put it on once a day, it would be better. Washing up is more time consuming than putting everything in a dishwasher. I don't get why we can't use it if we have it. I think Dad enjoys seeing me struggle doing the washing up because he never had a dishwasher growing up. That's so relatable. (laughs) I shouldn't have to suffer just because my parents did. This is a breaking generational curse. Exactly. You go, Anna. (laughs) Sometimes I'll put the dishwasher on when he's not home and there are only a few plates. I know it will get me in trouble, but I don't care. (laughs) I'm I'm lucky in that mum and dad don't ask me to do loads of short chores. I'm an only child and they know I have to get on with my exams and homework. After mum's cooked dinner, I'll sometimes clear the table and help with the plates if they let me put everything in the dishwasher. When they don't, it makes me reluctant to help because washing by hand takes so long. I also don't like the effect it has on my hands and nails as we hardly ever have rubber gloves around. I mean, you could just You could buy some. them, yeah. yeah. That is a poor excuse. <laughs> Dad needs to listen to my suggestions about the dishwasher because they make perfect sense. We should switch it on more. It will save us all time and money. Well, if this stuff she's saying is true, I think the problem they've got in this house Mm. is that she is right if they all go along with it. Because if the three of them put everything they use into the dishwasher in a day... It will fill up. It will fill up. It would fill up. Or at least every other day. The problem is because she's just trying to make them do it by doing it. And they're still washing up. So it's taking lots longer to to fill fill it up. 
I agree. I think you all just need to either get on board or sack it off because mm. it is such a thing. I don't know, like even in my family, like we literally never use the dishwasher. We have one. Mm. We never use it. Only when we have like loads of guest rounds will we use it and it's like such a luxury. Mm. I do agree with the saving time thing though. Like, you know, there's so many other things that you could be getting on with rather than spending like half an hour washing up the dishes. Like while the dishwasher's on, you could be wiping down the counters and doing like 10 other different things. I have a, I use my dishwasher quite a lot, but I have a half size one because and that's perfect for me. If I lived... If I had a full-size one, maybe I wouldn't use it so much because yeah. it would take ages to fill it. But because it's half-size, it does fill up in a couple of days. Yeah. But I also don't wash everything in there. And I also, and in terms of his point about hygienic, like I also do rinse, rinse everything, everything quite well. Yeah. Which apparently, I don't know if you heard this, but apparently our aunt slash cousin's husband told her yeah. that... It doesn't work as well if you rinse it because it needs stuff on there for the enzymes. Oh to work. right, yeah. But okay. I was like, oh. I don't know. Okay. There's such a thing about pre-washing before the dishwasher. That's what I've noticed. Definitely, everyone in our family basically kind of already yeah. washes the dishes yeah. before they put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> so we're probably wasting the most electricity and yeah. water. <laughs> Eco police don't come at us. Yeah, but I yeah I do rinse quite a lot. Yeah, but also because if you know that it's going to be sat in there for, for a, a day, couple of days, you don't want it to dry, dry on, yeah. and then sometimes it doesn't always get it on exactly and that's the worst exactly I mean I think Anna's right in a sense but yeah the whole family either needs to get on board with it to actually do it and I don't think it's cost effective to do it for just a couple of plates no that is not right she shouldn't be doing that like you could easily wash those up because what's happening if, if both of them are worried about the environment what's happening right now is the most wasteful situation exactly because they're doing dishwasher and and hand washing yeah so yeah but I feel like I am dish- team dishwasher I think yeah I'm team dishwasher yeah. even though I barely use mine because <laughs> the whole argument of what you had when you were growing up is like kind of annoying right like when our parents were young like they had to wash their clothes by hand and stuff exactly. like that but that doesn't mean that they're like forcing us to do that now like, yeah we've got a washing machine. Like why? yeah we've got these things and our like <laughs> we've come so far why are we regressing why are we not using these things they're made to help to us used, yeah they're made to help us live an easier life exactly. not everything has to be a chore and a challenge <laughs> next week we're going to be discussing moving out so all things to do with moving out when you live with your parents either when you're moving to university or after university for your first job and how to navigate those challenges um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram with the postmortem pod all one word. Share us, give us a little review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts wherever you're listening. Um, and yeah, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Yeah. Bye. Bye.